Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Wow, what a weekend. What a weekend. What a game, the All Blacks on Saturday. Oh, I was hopping around the front room screeching like an aegis, which is kind of standard performance to me anyway. On a Saturday afternoon, it has been known to happen. Good morning. Trust you had a good weekend. 30 opinion lines left to Christmas. That's all we have. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I know that the committee, the COVID committee, will meet this evening, and then there is a full cabinet meeting tomorrow. Whether or not we actually get a speech from Mihal, which some people were saying yesterday, we now need another one. I'm not sure why we do. We just read the newspaper every day and listen to the radio every day, but some people say we need another speech from Mihal. But certainly, we're going to be told, those of us who can, to work from home as much as is humanly possible. And there was a lot of rumours in the mix over the weekend that we might get some some pulling back on hospitality, some pulling back on, on what has already opened because of the fact that the hospital numbers are now seriously concerning. And this, it's just... It's, it, it's the seasonality of all this, as Luke O'Neill was saying to me last week on The Opinion Line. But then over the weekend, uh, Dr. Ronan Boland, with whom I've spoken before, was tweeting, COVID, COVID all around. Unvaccinated young adults are very sick, and more than that with COVID. Patients with symptoms placing false reliance on antigen tests, they are not a substitute. Patients with sore throat wanting antibiotics, but sure it can't be COVID, can it, doctor? And then... This is not over. Roland, good morning. Good morning, PJ. I think that's the hardest thing for us all to accept at this point in time. We have worked so hard, all of us, as a collective, as a hive, if you want. We've worked so hard to try to batter this thing down. And it isn't over. And that's hard to accept. 
It is. It's hard for uh, it's hard for the public. It's hard for uh, it's hard for people who work in healthcare too. I can assure you because yeah. it's a uh, it's been a long a, a long long struggle, and it would be great to be sharing the news that 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 uh, that COVID is coming to an end. But unfortunately, it's going to be with us for another while. Uh, that much is clear. Mm. At least one more hard winter ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I mean. It, it, What's abundantly clear is is that that uh, if you compare where we are to where we were this time last year, that that uh, vaccines have made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the efficacy of, of vaccines, uh, we, we we it's it's clear now. It does wane over time. We don't know yet whether uh, whether boosters will convey long term immunity. We certainly know that they will uh, hugely improve immunity in the short term. But we still have a cohort of uh, we're better than most European countries, but we still have. A cohort of uh, of uh, the public who are unvaccinated and who are a much more likely to get COVID and be much more likely to spread it to uh, those who have been vaccinated uh, and whose immunity is waning. And some of those people who've, whose immunity is waning are, are, you know, are elderly and immunocompromised and uh, medically vulnerable people. So it's a concern. Mm. The situation is regarding antigen tests. It's a hard thing to admit. They're not the silver bullet that some people think they are. Are they, Ronan? They're useful, very useful, but they're not a silver bullet that some people think they are. Yeah, they're not. Uh, I mean, they they, they they can only ever form uh, part of our defences, and, you know, and there are different views on this, but a, a relatively limited part of our defences, primarily in relation to testing uh what we call asymptomatic people, people with no symptoms. So, for example, within the last week, the HSE has uh, recommended, I'm not sure it's the formal recommendation, but certainly uh, they have been saying, I think pretty much for the first time, the people who are out and about a lot, so if you're using your COVID pass to go to restaurants and bars and nightclubs and discos and so on, uh, that you uh, you should be doing, uh, ideally be doing nitrogen tests a couple of times a week. And that's because uh, particularly younger, healthier people people may have COVID and have absolutely no symptoms or very minimal symptoms. So antigen tests has, have a place in, uh, in testing people with no symptoms, asymptomatic people, but they're not a substitute for a PCR test. Uh, even people who do get COVID, uh, the antigen tests tend to be positive for a relatively short period of time when people uh, have already been shedding the virus and have very high levels of virus in their upper airways. So by the time you've got a positive antigen test, uh, you've probably already been infectious for a couple of days and you may have infected your family members or your work colleagues or your mm-hmm. friends, uh, people that you're sitting around at, at, at uh, in a restaurant or in a club or wherever with. So they do have a place, uh, but they're, they, they most certainly are not a substitute for uh, for PCR testing because of the fact that, that, that uh, you have uh, uh, so many false positives. And uh, the, the other thing is that, uh, that a PCR test or an antigen test is only as uh, reliable as the person who's taking it. So if you tickle your, uh, the inside of your nose with a, with a, with a swab, uh, it's going to be negative whether you have COVID or not. So technique is very, very important. Uh, and obviously self-testing, the technique 
is uh, is th- th- there's certainly a strong possibility that, that it'll be less uh, rigorous in terms of of, mm. of getting a proper sample. Yeah, and that's another concern uh, in terms of in terms of antigen tests and self testing. So they have a role, they have a place, but only mm. as an extra an extra uh, bow in the armory, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. As regards transmissibility and people who are already vaccinated. I think it's been hard to take for the general public, Dr. Boland. You know, I've done my two jabs. I've done everything I was asked to do. And still I can get it. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, well, I think it's disappointing for me as well, I can assure you, and and, and everybody else. So uh, what you have to bear in mind is that the vaccines, I mean, the very first people were vaccinated uh, 11 months ago. So uh, it's a new vaccine. Uh, so you don't know until a, a time has elapsed whether the uh, the the vaccine uh, provides long-term cover or not. And certainly, it's clear at this stage that uh, the two doses uh, is not sufficient to uh, to confer long-term immunity. And the immunity is waning. We're seeing lots and lots of infections, breakthrough infections in people who have been vaccinated. Now, the good news, thankfully, is that, is that the majority of those those uh, what we call breakthrough infections of people who've, who've who've had two doses of the vaccine, the majority of them are very mild. Uh, and the uh, people who are getting very sick and ending up in ICU and unfortunately succumbing to the virus, uh, are they're disproportionately coming from that section of the population who hasn't been vaccinated. But but yes, you're right. Uh, two doses is not a cast iron uh, guarantee. A that you won't get COVID. B that you won't pass it on to anybody else. Or C, unfortunately, uh, that you won't get very sick uh, uh, or end up end up and end up in hospital yourself. So it is clear that, uh, as, as you will know, and as your listeners will know, uh, the booster uh, uh, vaccines have already been recommended uh, third doses for certain categories of people, primarily the elderly. And in, in, in addition, the third primary dose for people who have, com- who have compromised immunity. But I, I think a lot of medics, including myself, would be of the view that, uh, that it's probably time to get on and provide booster doses to a much higher section of the mm. adult population. In Singapore now, for example, anybody over 30 can just walk in, show that they've been six months since their second jab and get a third one there and then. Should we head down that road? Well, I, I, I mean, you, you live and learn and... Uh, and uh, I mean, you can be hasty making some of these decisions too, and find out that they weren't the right decision to make. But I think what is clear is that uh, there is there is uh, incontrovertible evidence, particularly from Israel, where uh, they've also uh, gone about a mass uh, uh, third dose vaccination campaign relatively early. And there's very clear data that's been published in the scientific journals showing that the the uh, the risk of breakthrough serious infection reduced by I think in the order of ninety percent. So uh, the, uh, the government have done the right thing by providing boosters uh, in the first place to those that, that uh, people over 70 and, and extremely over uh, immunocompromised. But with the case numbers that we're getting, the numbers of people that we have in ICU and the numbers, it's up to nearly 600 people in hospital. And remember, for every patient that ends up in a hospital bed, and especially every patient who ends up in an ICU bed, that's somebody else's cancer surgery uh, postponed yeah. or their scoliosis surgery or their, you know, because ICU beds are needed not just for people who are acutely ill, they're needed for patients who require uh, life-altering or life-saving surgery or people who end up in, you know, after severe road traffic accidents and so on. So we need to maintain that capacity and I think the boosters are going to play an important part and I, I for one, hope that uh, 
that one of the announcements that we hear over the next uh, week or 10 days is that the government intends, assuming they have the vaccine, and my understanding is that they do. Uh, yeah. So I would fervently hope that we'll see a much more, a much broader rollout to uh, to the adult population of the vaccine, okay. of third doses of the vaccine. couple of brief things. You mentioned in your tweet that I featured that there are other things out there and people have sore throats that will be normal or they think it's just a normal winter cold or a normal change of season sore throat but you can't take the chance now of not checking that out no you can't because unfortunately i mean we have to open up society sooner or later and we have opened up society to a, a, a greater rather uh, rather than the lesser extent at the stage things are you know they feel more normal but that does mean that people are circulating more and they're mixing with each other more and that the common garden colds and sore throats and uh, uh well not so much flu because we thankfully we haven't had much of the flu which would be a further complicating factor but because people are mixing a lot more than they were last winter that the normal upper respiratory infections that we would tend to see are much more common this year. And that does present a big challenge uh, yeah. because they're, you know, they're pretty much indistinguishable. Yeah. So if, a, if somebody says to you, I've got a sore throat and a bit of a temperature, but it can't be covered, uh, well, I, 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 God bless them for, for mm. coming to that. There was a nasty bug going around a few weeks ago. My wife got it and she had to be tested. Many, many years, because the symptoms of COVID are... are, are Sorry, Ronald, it was really, there was a nasty bug going around yeah, a few so, weeks ago, you know. Say, this is the problem. Is, yes, and, and there will be more. It's only November. So remember the peak flu season, influenza season, is, is tends to be uh, early January to, to kind of mid-February. So, uh, you know, we, we have a challenging winter ahead and uh, everybody's tired. The general public are tired and uh, healthcare workers and, and GPs and our staff are, are, are all tired. Mm. And, you know, people's ner- nerves are getting frazzled around the edges and certainly, uh, you know, a lot of people are, you know, understandably, but it, d- it doesn't make it easy when people are, you know, venting frustration, not just in healthcare settings, but in other settings. And I think that's a reflection of yeah. of the sort of the, the, the general fatigue that people are, are, are feeling. And that's the hardest thing to deal with at the, at the moment, I personally think, is the fatigue from it all. Just lastly, Ronan, what about a case in school? We weren't told. We got an engine test. It was positive. The sisters were positive. The parents were positive. All symptomless. They're hurling kids into school, the authorities are, and it's very dangerous. They should close down the schools for a few weeks and you'd soon see a fall in the figures. Brief response? Uh well, I certainly wouldn't agree with that. I think it's, impor- uh, it's important that we keep uh, children in school. Uh, ch- children's education suffered significantly last year with prolonged lockdowns. I th- uh, I'm not a public health expert, so I'm not going to second guess my uh, uh, colleagues who look at these matters very, very carefully. But I don't see any logic in shutting down our schools at the moment. And I think it would be deleterious to the education of our kids who were out of school for a lot of last year. I've got school going age, school age going kids myself or one still in school. Uh, and I think it's very hard for for not just for younger children, but especially for for uh, for uh, you know 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds at the socialising stage, and they, and a lot of them you know they missed it three, four, five months of school last year. So I think closing down schools uh, should be an absolute last resort, and I certainly don't think it's going to come to that. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Ronan Boland. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Insistence among senior politicians that we don't go backwards. Taoiseach though saying, well, we can't rule anything in and we can't rule anything out. And so is Donny Holohan saying the same, we can't rule anything in and we can't rule anything out. 
but I, a lot of resistance among people I know, certainly, don't want to go backwards. Whatever you have to do to control it, we'll do, but we don't want to go backwards. 1850715996. Dear PJ, hope you're well. As many are, I'm terrified about this virus and its severity. With Christmas shopping, winter sales and work nights out, with the numbers so high, it's just irresponsible and dangerous. We're heading for a car crash with no seatbelts if they don't do something quickly. I hope you're wrong. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie we're back to the music. The Quartz 96 FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96fm.ie now. 96fm.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96 FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96fm.ie. We talked on the programme last year and probably before about this thing called Progressing Disability Services for Children and Young People, which was this kind of umbrella idea to bring all services into a sort of one-stop shop. It hasn't worked. Joanna, I think your daughter goes to St. Paul's in Montanati, and this is just a total mess. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Um, I'm actually a bit nervous. I was saying it to Fergal and to Fiona just there. I've never rung a radio station or sent in a request. So this is, you know, something I've never done before. So it's all a bit daunting. Drive but on, I you're fine. I, the, reason, the reason I did it is my daughter is nonverbal. So if she, if, I, if she can't speak for herself, so I'm speaking for her. And not just for her, but for all the children, you know, in St. Paul's in particular, but even in Cork who aren't getting any services because of this new progressive disability service that the government brought in at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, How has her service changed? Well, what happened was she, when she was in school in St. Paul's, they had what was called a school team. Um, St. Paul's, I don't know if you've ever been up there. It's a school for children with moderate to profound intellectual disabilities. Mm-hmm. And that school and all the schools, especially the schools in Montanati, used to have access to a team which was like a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist, and a speech and language therapist. And under this new scheme they brought in at the start of the year, they withdrew those services and redeployed the, the therapist into this new model. Mm. So they basically took the therapist from these kids. And some of these children, now PJ, would have profound intellectual disabilities mm-hmm. with medical issues and life-limiting conditions. And it, it's done like it's not even a, a, a discussion. They've taken these therapists from these children. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know St. Paul's so and I know the work they do. I know it very well. Yeah. Yeah. And in like they divided the areas then into, you know, teams. So where Olivier would be would be Bridgeway. So you could have 500, at least 500. I actually don't even think they know themselves how many children they have. But there's 500 children at least, including just the special needs schools, going from Tivoli all the way up to Carrig Navarre. And they have one physiotherapist that would cover all that area and all those children. And we're not talking about a group of children, like 500 children were deemed to need therapy. And they have one physiotherapist two occupational therapists and four speech and language therapists. 
to cover that area. And it's not just my area and it's not just Cork. It's the whole country. Yeah. And so, it's, it's so, not working. And you, I don't know if you saw the petition. I did. But um, you, you can see why people, at the end, you can see why people are signing it. And the two words that people say is vulnerable and deserve better. And these children do. And I don't understand why the government sees these children like so bad, little, like, you know, they're, they're not seen as people. They're seen as, you know, a number. And like Olivia is not a number, you know, kids in our class like Rian and Brooke and Tom. They're, they're children too, you know? I know. And they, they, they deserve to have the best chance, you know, to be the best they can be. And if you're taking these services from them now, what in 10 and 15 and 20 years' time, these children are going to be adults. And, like, you want your child, like, I have four kids, and we all want our kids to be the best that they can be. But if you're denying them the basic, you know, speech and language, the ability to speak, occupational therapy, you know... To, to dress yourself, to zip up your clothes, to eat, independ- to live independent lives. We're just, we're just pushing this down the road where these children won't be able to, you know, be valuable, con- well, they'll be valuable, but they won't be able to contribute to society. There'll be less of them able to get jobs. You know, they'll be on disability payments. And so if the government thinks they're saving money now, they're not. They're, they're just kicking this down, down, you know, to the next government or to the government after that. I don't know. You talked to us in your message, Joanne. You made a very strong point. You said you think the hardest day of your life will be the day of the diagnosis, but actually it turns it's, out to be one of the easiest it's ones. It's not, it's not. You, yeah. like, and this is not just for my child. And, you know, the scheme, it sounds amazing because it's covering all children. And I think all children, not just my child, because my child has Down syndrome, I think children with autism, children with spina bifida, you know, children with cerebral palsy, children with speech delays. If any of those children need therapy, they should be in, they're entitled as, he, to, as my child to get it under this new scheme. They're not. None of them are. And you think the day, you, like, you know, in the hospital, you, you have a baby with special needs or when your child is two or three and you're told the, the child has autism and then you come to terms with it and you, you say, you know, you're going to do the best you can for your child and you look around for support and there's nothing there. And you're put on waiting list after waiting list and told about these buzzwords of early intervention. And you're, as your child ages out, early intervention is come and gone. And your child has gotten no service. Yeah. No, you're, you're, I don't need to say anything. You're saying it yeah. all. You're saying and it I, all. And I know of, fam- of parents who spoke to the Minister for Disability last week, the Minister for Disability in Galway, Anne Rabbit, mm-hmm. and she told them that she wasn't aware of any issues with children in this country receiving support. Like, as my eight-year-old daughter would say, is she for real? She doesn't know. It's her job to know. Yeah. She should be looking after these kids. These kids are the most vulnerable kids in society. And yes, we don't do anything to support them. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're okay. (laughs) As I say in St. Paul, St. Paul's is an amazing school. It is. And it's a brilliant school. And, you know, you have children in there, as I said, with really complex medical needs who need things like orthotics and equipment just, you know, just to have a comfortable life. And you need to have a lot of this equipment signed off by a physiotherapist, but they can't get access to a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist. So they're left waiting on waiting lists for things like splints and standards to help them stand. 
Do you know? And that's just so wrong. Do I not? What is it that, for example, just just Olivia now, just talk about your own precious little girl for a second. What, <laughs> what, what, what does she need to help her well, get by? Well, she needs speech and language. She's non-verbal. She's six years old. And, you know, early intervention is come and gone, really. But So it's not just for her. I'm fine for all the kids who are just born in the last couple of years. And, you know, her friends in school and other children who haven't even been born yet. Because I know people might think, oh, that's that's nothing to do with me. Like, I don't have a, a child with a disability. Mm-hmm. But six years ago, I didn't either. Yeah. You know, you don't know what's going to happen to any of our kids. You know, you take you hope for the best. But we don't know if, if your child needs speech therapy or... If you have a child with a disability, you want to know that there will be supports there for them. You know, my husband works and he pays taxes. I worked and I paid taxes. And when you need a bit of help, it's not there. I know. And, and she's at that crucial point in her young life now, six, where other, yeah, other kids are soaking up language like a sponge and she years. needs help. She needs help to get language. Yeah, yeah, and it's been two years and she's... Been, and I actually remember... Because um, my son was born, he's two today, and I was above in the CUMH, and he was quite sick when he was born, he was after a C-section, and Olivia, it was a Friday, and I know Olivia had speech and language on the Monday, and I said to my husband, you have to bring her, because God only knows when we get another session, you have to bring her, and my baby was down in the NICU, he had breathing issues, so like, it's all encompassing your whole life, like, you're fighting and fighting and fighting, and it shouldn't be that hard. And it's not the disability that's the hard part. It's the way society and the government treat these children. Who looks after mummy? <laughs> and, and there's another thing I wanted to say too, is that they closed all the speech and language, or the special needs preschools. Like, there's a building in, um, in Cope Foundation called Rainbow Lodge. Yes, I And, you know, we, 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 we try to encourage children to go to mainstream. You know, it's not for everyone. But um, they closed these, this facility and redeployed the staff. And you can see it if you pass. It's across from the nurse, just down from the nursing home in Montanati. And the, the shutters are pulled down. And they have the equipment. They have the room. They have it all set up for children. They could, they could help them. And it's closed. And they've redeployed the staff again into this new system. And, and it's not just in Corps, Brothers of Charities. Every, all, they all did the same. And there was no one said anything. And no one thought, oh, this is wrong. Taking therapists from children is, an, is wrong. From yeah. special needs school is wrong. Joanne. People waiting, not just months, we're talking years here. And this is not just children with Down syndrome, this is children with autism, <laughs> children with other disabilities who should be entitled to the basic right to be the best that they can be. And the government say they don't know what's happening. I just don't understand. And it's frustrating and it's upsetting and you get tired of fighting all the time. You, you, get, you get beaten down, don't you? Oh, you do. You hear parents of older kids now probably been on the road longer than me, like yourself, probably think, what's the point? And, you know, so a parent of me feels like that too. You know, I'm just a mum from Bally. No, I have four kids. I, I set up a petition, but it wasn't just me. It was other families too. But is this going to make any difference? You know, probably not. You're not just a mum from Bally. No, you're Olivia's mum. Yeah. You're brilliant. Yeah. You're absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and yeah. you know, I always say to people... St. Paul said to me, and the teachers in mainstream schools, they're teachers. They're not therapists. They no. don't know what the kids need. No. You know, they're not trained speech and language therapists. They do the best they can. 
but they're not trained like a speech therapist would or a physiotherapist would. Do you know, to help these kids in mainstream and in special schools and in units to bring them on to be the best that they can be because that's all you want for any of your ch- children. Do you know what you have that you should never stop yeah. using? Your voice. You have, you have been... <laughs> I don't want to get really emotional. You have been... No, Joanne, 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 you have been... And my you husband have, said take notes and I didn't either of those no, things. No, so. no, you have been brilliant. You have been wonderful. You have said more than I think you ever even thought you were going to say yeah you've been fantastic and and yeah i think we'll just throw it out there a lot of people will will empathize very much with what you're saying yeah and maybe you'll share the, the, the petition on your facebook page and maybe some people will look at it and say you know i, I can click and one click might make a difference for these children in cork all right listen you look after you yourself might make the government think think a little harder about how they treat them Look after yourself, look after your beautiful little girl and the rest of your kids and uh, take some downtime for you too, uh, Joanne, because you deserve it. Thank you very much. 1850-715-996. Ah, she's remarkable. I was hearing in my ear beforehand, she's very nervous and she was very fearful about coming on. If every call this week's as good as that, we'll have a great week. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM's Select Irish. JC Stewart. Hey, I'm JC Stewart. Gonna break Leah Hart. Hey, I'm Leah Hart. Can you play? Being a select Irish artist for the month really helped my song Older reach multiple new listeners. Isaac Butler. Hey, I'm Isaac Butler. And I wish I could change the past. Sophie Doyle Ryder. Hi, I'm Sophie Doyle Ryder. They're all select Irish artists. Select Irish on Cork's 96FM. It was a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you could be next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96fm.ie forward slash select Irish. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. By the way, the 10K toy giveaway started this morning and we will play another round of it between 10 and 11 today. A chance to win a 500 euro shopping voucher for toys this Christmas. All coming between 10 and 11. In fact, I think within the next hour, we will definitely play it Again, huge response to Joanne. I'll read some of your comments in a while. We have posted her petition on our Twitter. Yesterday was World Diabetes Day. And according to one Cork-based expert, Ireland is very far from where it should be in the treatment of children with type 1 diabetes. Do you know what? We're not very good with children at all in this country, are we? Really? Uh, That expert is Dr. Colin Hawkes, and he joins me now. Colin, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thank you very much for having me. It's such a basic disease, such one of the basic diseases that affects so many children, and yet we are so far behind the curve. Yeah, I mean, I I think, to be honest with you, everybody probably knows a child with type 1 diabetes. Uh, We underestimate how common this is. It affects about 3,000 to 4,000 children in this country right now. And here in Cork, we diagnose about 50 to 60 children each year. So that's about one or two each week. How, at what stage in life... Is it diagnosed? Like, when does it become obvious, Colin? 
Well, it's most commonly diagnosed in teenagers, um, but we're increasingly seeing it in younger children down under the age of, say, five years of age. Um, and the symptoms when children are developing type 1 diabetes can be quite subtle initially. So children who are just going to the bathroom a little bit more frequently, um, who are more thirsty than usual, who are becoming more fatigued and tired, um, and, and then progressively they start losing weight and becoming unwell. So at some point in that pathway, um, they're picked up and brought to their GP or the emergency department, and then, and then they come to us. It is in a way a life-changing diagnosis. And what I mean is it, it involves it in life changes from the get-go, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it's not just for the child, it's for the entire family and the community um, that, that cares for each child. So uh, everybody needs to learn about how to, how to manage this condition. And it's, you know, every aspect of, of childhood just becomes that slight, slightly more complicated. So children who are participating in sports, who are going to sleepovers, who are attending school, we've got to support and guide and help each, each child be able to continue to do each of those. Because our, our goal here, and it's an achievable goal, is that every child with type 1 diabetes continues to live a happy, fulfilled and normal life and just integrate the management of this complex condition into it. Now the technology involved has changed a lot so it is easier I suspect than it was maybe 10 years ago for children to to manage their insulin and manage their own needs but there's other things besides that, that 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 are needed. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the technology in itself, yes, it has become easier, but it's it's made the disease a lot more complex for us as, as clinicians caring for these families because we have to teach people how to manage this technology and we have to make sure that they're able to use it appropriately. Um, and and that's that's only, like you said, a very small proportion of managing this, this condition because um, the psychological effects of having a chronic disease of this burden in childhood um, is huge. Um, about 20% of children with type 1 diabetes at some point demonstrate symptoms of depression. Um, and it's really, really critical that, that the diabetes team is astute to these symptoms and able to link the families and children with the resources that they need at the time that they need and not come in too late. You describe it as a disease of the family. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the parents of children with type 1 diabetes often can can have anxiety and, and you know, they're, they're worried and not sleeping uh, while they kind of consider what their child's glucose is doing while the child is out of their care, so while they're at school or, or asleep at night time. So it's, it's really something that the whole family takes on um, and that can put a lot of stress on the family. So when you think about adolescence, where there's often a lot of um, fighting and, and uh, you know, uh, arguments going on in the home, when you add diabetes into that mix, it, it becomes quite challenging and that's where the the psychological supports of the diabetes team are really crucial and they need to be empowered to do that and that's kind of one of the main points that I was trying to make uh, when I was making that statement where that we're, we're so far behind the curve here yeah, yeah in in your in your view as a clinician Colin like what basic needs are not served in our system at the moment well I think it it, there's a local and a national problem here, right? So on, on a national front, we need, to, we, we need to know exactly how many children with type 1 diabetes are there, um, where are they, and how do we best provide the, the care of those patients to consolidate the expertise and ensure that every child in this country gets, that gets access to the exact same resources. Now, um, on, on a local level, if that were to happen, 
we would be a lot more enforced. Right now, we're the second largest diabetes center in, in the country for children. We have more patients than Temple Street and Ventala, um, but we don't have the resources that they have. And the children in Dublin have access to psychology where, where we don't, we do not have a dedicated psychologist as part of our diabetes team. Um, so we, we do need to think about how our resources allocated, but also when we look at Cork, we need to make sure that for the 500 children that we care for, that we have the resources that, that we need to do that. And we also need to think also, because we're not just Cork, we are the South and Southwest Hospital, hospital Group. So we provide diabetes expertise going out as far as Kerry and up as far as Clonmel. Mm. You ideally, in, you and your team, would like to see every child every three months, but that's not possible. No, it's not. Um, you know, we are supposed to, according to the model of care, have six diabetes nurses and we only have three. And now any patient who attends my service will tell you that I'm not the most important part of my team as the diabetes nurses. Um, and they, um, so we, we just can't meet the the national guidelines, the international guidelines with the staffing levels that we have. Um, and if, if I had one wish list on putting on my list for Santa is we, we need more diabetes nurses. We need psychology supports. Um, a diabetes psychologist is absolutely critical. And, and if, it's ha- if some children in the country have access to psychology for their diabetes, then all children should. All right. Leave it there. Thank you very much. That's Dr. Colin Hawkes. He's a pediatric endocrinologist at CUH. Isn't it crazy? Like, we've had two contributors there back-to-back. Colin, and before that, Joanne. The the huge gaps in how we take care of children in this country. It's, It's... And listen, this has nothing to do with COVID. This was the way before COVID. Long before anyone ever heard of COVID. It was like this. And it's just getting worse. 1850 We've posted that petition, as I said, on our Twitter. Uh, well done, Joanne. That was brilliant. My son, Connor, is six, has Down syndrome. We haven't had any appointments in years. It's heartbreaking to see our children are just forgotten about. Well done, Joanne. It's people like you. We need to speak up. Keep going, Joanne. All behind you. What a woman. I have a child with special needs also. My services are via Zoom without them seeing my child for this. Move to tears listening to the story about the services. My son has autism. We're in the same boat waiting for services. I was told at least 24 months waiting after my son was diagnosed. So that's no good to anyone. Corks at 96 FM. Reminder to you, time to start organising that Christmas jumper day to support Cork Simon. Corks 96 FM getting together and asking you to host your Christmas jumper day in whatever way you feel safest. Do it in the office. If you're in there, do it at home. Go on Zoom. Have a big get-together with your workmates and your friends and your colleagues and your cousins overseas. Do a big Zoom and take a photo. Anyway, do it whatever you want. Get a fundraising pack at corksimon.ie and join us this Christmas to help fight homelessness in Cork. 1850-715-996. Joanne was very, very impressive. And a lot of people really, really taken by what she had to say and how she had to say it this morning. Emma, good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. She she blew how us away you? this morning, didn't she? Oh, Joanne is absolutely fantastic. She's amazing. She spoke up so beautifully for her daughter, for her family, and for all of us parents who are fighting endlessly for our children across the country. What's your own story? Um, my own... 
Um, my own little boy, Fionn, is five. Um, he has Down syndrome. He also happens to attend St. Paul's as well um, in Montanati. Oh, they're an absolutely amazing school um, and the teachers and staff there are fantastic. But um, I'm actually a teacher myself in a mainstream school. My own little boy is six, so that's why I'm not at school today. I have to, I have to keep an eye on him. But... Um, I I decided that I would like to survey parents. Now, I feel that the services themselves have been very quiet publicly. And there's an awful lot um, kind of there seems to be an awful lot going on behind the scenes. A lot of it is political, an awful lot of red tape. So I felt let's get the voices of our parents heard. Um, I would love the therapists and the staff in all the services across the country to stand by us, but I feel their hands are tight. So I did a survey anyway, uh, and so far I have um, over 530 respondents of families across the country. And like the bottom line is, I asked them how many um, of them are satisfied with this new progressing disability services. And um, 96% of them said they weren't. So... Um, kind of in summary of the, the progressing disability services, the whole idea is lovely. The idea was to make services equitable across the country. Um, up to then, it meant that if, depending on where you lived, you may get better services. So you have Cope Foundation, you have Brothers of Charity, you have Daughters of Charity. I think there are 24 or something um, lead agencies across the country. So mm-hmm. there's a huge amount of stakeholders involved in it. Um, so the idea was that all children, no matter where they live, would get the same services because some were getting better services than others. It would depend on how well the service was run or how well they were resourced. But in reality, it's been a kind of a robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of scenario. They have not put in any extra staff. They have not put in any extra resources. They're basically dealing with what they've had before. But put it into a simple way for people, I suppose, Joanne, who wouldn't who wouldn't be in that space. So what they've did what they've done effectively is the, if you had a team a good team, say, in Carrigaline, so they decided, right, we're gonna have Carrigaline, Ballancolig, Glanmire, and possibly say Middleton. And we're going to mm-hmm. bring them all under the one roof. But they don't hire anybody else. So now No, what, they don't. Yeah. It's been a rejigging. Yeah. So the people who were now know, dedicated I'm, to Carrigaline are now having to handle Middleton and Glenmire and everywhere else as well. That's exactly it. And they're swamped under the paperwork as it stands. So my son stopped whatever services he was getting, which were, was very little. And I have to say the people, like I won't mention the service he was in, they were fantastic. The people themselves are amazing. The therapists are amazing. They want the best for our children, but they have, their resources are so little. So we were transferred to the new service based on our address, but it ha- we actually happened to be closer to the one we were already at. Um, they are currently dealing with 750 files and counting. So they have to go through those children individually. They've just issued us with another letter with another form to fill us to fill in in relation to our children. They already have all the information. They're swamped under. They're under-resourced. They have jobs that haven't been filled. I mean, it would be fantastic to hear from somebody in the services and let parents know exactly what's going on. We are in the dark. We don't have the services for our children and we don't know what's happening. We're being told they're under-resourced. They they want to help our children. Um, what their plan is really is they're saying it's a three-pronged apro- approach. And the number one is that they're going to do kind of group kind of webinars for parents, that they're going to, the intervention will really be through the parents and par- parental training. Now, that's all well and good if your child is getting one-to-one supports as well. It's been proven all over the world in, in you know, in various, um, in writings or whatever. The children need 
the one to one support. But it comes down to funding at the end of the day. I mean, do you want to put robot trees on Patrick's trees that cost three hundred and fifty thousand euro each? Mm-hmm. Or could you, you know, provide speech and language therapy for a hundred children in there an you area? Go. You know, there it's you go. money it's down to management at the end of the day. And our children, it feels that our children just aren't aren't worth it. Yeah. They're expensive. That's what it is. And the state don't have their voices aren't very loud either, you know, if yeah. the parents are... As well, Joanne you know, said, I mean, Emma, when they have voices like you and voices like Joanne, uh, they've got great voices. Whether those voices get listened to, unfortunately, is another day's work. But thank you very much for contacting us. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Less than 40 minutes away now for another chance to win on Cork's 96FM's 10K toy giveaway. Less than 40 minutes away from your next chance to win. I will guarantee to do it before 10.45. That's a promise. Listen up for the cue to call. We'll ask you the question and then you'll qualify. All right, coming up in less than 40 minutes. 1850-715-996. An enormous response to Joanne. A huge response to Joanne. Well done, Joanne. We're all left thrown onto a dump until we finally snap and have to act like crazy lunatics to fight for services we're meant to have for our kids. Why does everything have to be such a struggle for our children? Don't they have enough to deal with? If a typical child has issues with stammer or difficulties pronouncing words, they get six weeks of speech therapy in school or from HSE. Our kids don't even have speech and yet they don't even get a therapy session this year or last year. I'm a mom of a nine-year-old boy with Down syndrome. My son Connor is six and has Down syndrome. We haven't had any appointments in years. It's heartbreaking to see our children just forgotten about. What a fantastic lady. So very sad to hear someone speak so emotionally about failings in regards to her little child and all the other kids being so incredibly failed on a daily basis by the government. I've tears in my eyes. My God. Keep going, Joanne. Well done, Joanne. Keep it up, Joanne. Keep talking, Joanne. Joanne and Emma spoke very well this morning. My own son's team wrote to each family in colour on glossy paper, stamped and posted at what cost? But they wrote to tell us they don't have adequate resourcing to provide the necessary services. The ICANN charity in the UK have a cost-benefit analysis study on the economic value of providing speech and language therapy. For every pound invested in the UK, there's a £6.43 return through increased lifetime earnings. Our children are seen as an economic burden on the state. But with proper intervention, this does not need to be the case. Intervention is an investment. And it goes on and on and on. And a huge response as well to Dr. Hawkes. Patients ringing up and parents ringing up saying how brilliant Dr. Hawkes and his team are, but they just don't have the resources. What on earth is going on in this blasted country? And don't, don't play the COVID card because this was happening before COVID. And trust me, unless something is done, when COVID has finally gone away, it'll still be happening. 
1850-715-996. This is Stand Up Awareness Week for Transgender and Non-Binary Awareness. Joined by Kira Mulcahy from Link to tell us a little bit more about it. Kira, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you getting on? Can you hear me? I can indeed. I can indeed. Tell me about the week, its purpose and the events involved. Yeah, so it's uh, Stand Up Awareness Week is run by Belong To, their youth service for um, LGBTI plus young people. Um, and basically it's, it's just an opportunity for schools to take a stand against homophobic, biphobic and, and transphobic bullying. Um, so it's, there's, there's a guide there that schools can access to, to sort of help them map out what they can do for the week, what training they can get involved in, what initiatives they're there. Um, but really what we're, what we're doing here at Link is we're using this week um, to launch, reason the momentum of this week to launch a resource that we've created here in Cork. Um, and it's, it's an animation uh, named okay. Esther Explains. Esther Explains. Esther Explains. So Esther is actually, Esther is a colleague of ours and uh, we deliver training to schools and to, to corporate groups, NGOs, things like that. But at one of our trainings, um, Esther was engaging with, with some young people and I think they were first years in a school in, um, I think it was school in Middleton. And it's just the way she delivered it just really worked for them. They got her, they connected with her. So from there, we developed an animation based on her. So it's, it's a little bit unusual for us, but uh, it looks, the, the cartoon looks exactly like Esther. And what it is essentially is just very short. None of them are any longer than three minutes um, animations where she's dealing with different topics. So one of them is non-binary. One of them is being trans and the other one is homophobic language. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is it's creating that kind of really accessible, easy space to talk about concepts that people actually feel like they nervous of or they would don't want to get you know people don't want to get these things wrong mm. so it's characters like her dad her brother a friend in school asking her you know what does this mean how do we deal with this and it's just that very sort of gentle way of of bringing you into the conversation about different identities mm. um and i think as well what we've heard a lot from young people is in the rse and the sphe classes teachers are tasked with dealing with these topics that they might have no experience of yeah. so what we've done is we've created a sort of a a medium that engages young people like a short animation and then there's a manual for teachers to kind of guide and prompt a conversation afterwards. Okay. So where can people get to look at Esther and her explanations? (laughs) And her explanations. So we're launching them tomorrow. So from tomorrow onwards, the the manual, so there's a downloadable PDF of the manual and all of the animations will go live from our website, which is link.ie. Um, and it's in the resources section. Okay, L-I-N-C dot I-E and go to resources. Yeah, that's it, exactly. Okay, and will they be on YouTube or any other platforms? Yeah, they'll be, they will. They'll be on a, the Link YouTube channel and they'll be all over our social media as well over the next couple of weeks. Okay, we'll wish you well with it. Sounds like an interesting concept to, to deal with a, a real problem. Um, and sometimes you might offend or hurt completely unintentionally. So videos like this will teach you how to not intentionally or unintentionally offend, which is probably the, the most useful way to do it. Because, yeah, that's good luck with that. That's Stand Up Awareness Week, Kira Mulcahy. Link.ie and the resources section is where you'll find that. Can I just mention this before I forget? Uh, just a quick congratulations to F&F. F&F Clothing in Douglas. They won the best layout and layout shop in the country. This is a huge achievement for us, just to mention all the girls in the Tesco F&F clothing department in Douglas.
Don't mind telling you, girl. There are girls, I've sampled your wares more than once. So I know how good that shop is. So congratulations and well done. People were saying as well, why did Joe Biden uh, ring Michal Martin to say how pleased he was about the rugby? Well, not only was it a nice gesture, but turns out, according to one of our listeners, that Joe Biden is related to Robin Dave Carney, who, of course, played for Ireland up to recently. And they've been over to visit him a few times. So there's the connection that people will... Why did he... Yes, I don't know why he's watching the rugby. That's why. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Get through your afternoon with all your favourite tunes, brilliant giveaways and everything happening in Cork. Here, straight after the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Less than 20 minutes away now from another go at the 10k toy giveaway less than 20 minutes away you're waiting for your cue to call and then you'll call you'll get in touch and we'll ask your question and you'll qualify for the draw simple as that we'll do it again there's some guarantee to do it in the next 20 minutes 1850-715-996 there is some major consultation ongoing at the moment with regards to the primary school curriculum I think it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that the curriculum is very, very busy and very, very full. Ask any teacher, ask any parent. So consultation with primary schools and special schools has now reopened and people can have their say about the draft primary curriculum framework through an online questionnaire. And there's written submissions and, and all of that. Let's talk about this for a while with Dr. Derek Grant, who's the director of the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment. Dr. Grant, good 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 morning. Good morning, PJ. It's very nice to be able to talk to you this morning. And good to have you on the programme. Let's address that observation of mine and I think observation of many before we go any further. The curriculum is very, very busy anyway. So what does it need to change? Yeah. It is. And I, I think, PJ, you, you, you made a fundamental point. Our current curriculum, um, and many of your listeners this morning will be surprised to hear, it's actually 22 years old. So it actually goes back to the 1990s. It was published back in 1999, which was a very, very different time. And it provided a strong foundation for teaching and learning for its time. But one of the big challenges, and PJ, you've got straight to the point very quickly, it was curriculum overload. So that curriculum um, had 11 subjects in it. So we're actually proposing now in what we see as being the way forward, the directions for change for how children learn in primary school is moving away from 11 subjects in the first four years of primary school reducing that back to five broad curriculum areas Mm -hmm. and trying to reduce the level of content, the level of specification that's in the curriculum. So really looking at what kind of a curriculum will support children's learning in the years ahead, because at the moment we do have a very content heavy curriculum and there are calls constantly coming simply for the curriculum to do more I mean, PJ, I could give you a couple of examples, social, personal and health education. 
and physical education. There are calls for increased time for these areas, for new areas of learning to come into the curriculum around coding and computational thinking and about education, about religions and beliefs and ethics and modern foreign languages, would you believe? So all of this means it's really important that we just consider that children that are born this year in 2021 and who begin primary school in September 2025, 2026. Mm. They'll begin their working lives in the 2050s, retire in the 2080s. What kind of a curriculum will best serve their needs as Mm. we look ahead? Like one would think, Derek, that if there are too many areas covered in the curriculum, that nothing is covered properly. But what five areas would you like to break it down to? So... At the moment, again, and these are proposals, and you were right from the start, PJ, it's a public consultation, and we have proposals at the moment for the next curriculum. And one of them is that restructuring of the curriculum, moving away from 11 subjects in the first four years to five broad areas. And those five areas would be language, would be one, Mm -hmm. mathematics, science, and technology education, another, well-being, And in that well-being space, that would be physical education, health education, social, personal and values education, arts education, social and environmental education. And of course, there would still be the religious, ethical, multi-belief education, the patrons programme that currently exists um, in our primary schools. The old fashioned, and look, it's a term that many listeners may not have heard of, but you will certainly have heard of, the old three R's. Reading, writing and arithmetic. You've got to teach every child that at primary level, don't you? You absolutely do. It's a really important foundation. I mean, that is the foundation for children's learning. But with that, PJ, we have to be careful that children also get a broad and a balanced curriculum experience. So it's really important that children have um, the opportunity to experience the arts, that children have the opportunity to experience social and environmental education, and that all of this is integrated. So Mm. while our current 99 curriculum is an integrated curriculum, we're really looking again at how we can meaningfully support our teachers to give them a meaningful Mm. um, curriculum that they can work with, that supports their professionalism, but also for children. And children are at the core of this. So if we see children as unique, capable and caring, and that's our vision for this redeveloped curriculum, well then, what exactly is needed in terms of the nature the structure and the purpose of a curriculum. So absolutely, you're right. Language and mathematics are foundational, but we have to be careful that we that they don't become the be-all and end-all for children's education. So, for example, we're looking at that broader... Well, hold, on, hold on a second. They're not the be-all and end-all, but, but if you, we have a huge problem in this country, uh, Derek, with adult illiteracy. And many adults walking around unable to read, write or spell. That surely points to a hole in primary education. Yeah. Now, interestingly, we actually do very well. So on international assessments, Ireland actually comes out very, very well in terms of literacy and numeracy. So if we take, for example, our standing at the moment in PEARLS, the international reading assessments, or on TIMS, the trends in international mathematics and science assessments, 
we're doing really, really well in this country. So it's building on yeah, those... But might I respectfully suggest, might I respectfully suggest, Derek, that those surveys and those assessments are made by people and involve people who already can read and can write. And I've spoken to so many people over the years that the amount of illiteracy or semi-literacy in the society here in Cork actually shocks me. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's really, really, do, do, do you know what I mean? It's really important to hear that message, PJ, and it's really, really important that we take that on board. And I think, PJ, part of that comes back to this whole public consultation then, mm. that people come with their views, people, exactly as you said at the beginning, have their say. And that's why as part of the proposals that we have developed, which at the moment are just proposals for a redeveloped curriculum, we've worked very, very closely with schools on on the ground to hear from schools to listen from schools we've gone out and we've listened to parents we've worked with children we've worked with teachers and school leaders and actually we have five cork schools that we're working with at the moment so cork is really well represented in terms of the network that we have of schools feeding into these proposals because you're right all these messages around what's important. So going back to your point there on the foundational nature of literacy and numeracy, that begs the question, what is the purpose of a primary education for tomorrow's children? And then what are the priorities and the structure and the components within the curriculum that can support this? So that's why I suppose, PJ, we really appreciate the opportunity this morning to speak to your listeners and ask them to give us their views, their ideas, their observations on what we're proposing for their children's future curriculum. Are there proposals in there that people might be a bit surprised at, Derek? Perhaps, perhaps. So, for example, we're looking, as I say, at um, increasing the time for physical education. We're also looking at a proposal around the introduction of a modern foreign language from third class onwards. So at the moment, children learn English and Irish in our primary schools. And now we're looking at how we can perhaps introduce a modern foreign language. We're also looking, PJ, at making the curriculum very, very inclusive so that it's for all children. It's for all schools so that it spans our primary schools and our special schools. Also, PJ, we have proposals in the draft framework around changing the time allocations. So how is time allocated across the week, across the month, across the term? And we're looking at giving schools greater flexibility in how they decide time is used. So we, we would actually have weekly allocations for language and maths. I, again, going back to your earlier point around the importance of these areas. And we would also have a weekly allocation for well-being. Mm -hmm. But for other areas of the curriculum, we'd move away to monthly allocations okay. rather than weekly allocations. And also we would give schools flexible time. So there'd be a time in every month where schools can decide what's their priority, how okay. can they best use this time in responding to their own local needs or local identified yeah. priorities. Our primary schools. school pupils at the moment, of course, Derek, as you'll know too, are digital natives, uh, tech, coding. Also, any, is there a place in the curriculum for those kind of skills? 
There absolutely is. Um, and I'm delighted you brought that up. So one of the proposals is around the introduction of a curriculum area around mathematics, science and technology education. STEM. So technology yeah. would, yeah, exactly STEM, would become a curriculum area. But we're also looking at what are the capabilities children really need as part of their childhood, but I suppose also as part of their future as learners, as adolescents moving into adulthood. We're looking at introducing what we call seven key competencies. These key competencies, PJ, would span from junior infants to sixth class. They would be embedded across all the curriculum areas, and one of them is actually being a digital learner. And that idea of being a digital learner, we see as being really, really important for children, how they communicate and collaborate with others through technology, how they access, analyse and manage content using technology. Mm. And very importantly, how they interact ethically and responsibly with digital technology. So that's one of our proposals at the moment, that being a digital learner would be embedded across the child's experiences mm. through the primary curriculum. There's a lot of talk for recently politic- in political circles about taking religion and spirituality and all that out of the school and that religion and faith will be taught at home and replaced in school by things like meditation, inclusiveness, diversity. Do you see a place for that happening? I suppose, PJ, that's a really, really important question. And just to say to you, I suppose the draft framework, it sets out the directions for curriculum change that are intended for all schools under all patronage and that have the capacity to take account of the particular needs and interests of children, their parents and the wider school community and importantly the characteristic spirit of the school. So very importantly under the 1998 Education Act the rights of patrons would still be absolutely recognised within this curriculum and again we wouldn't see any change in that coming forward Mm. in the proposals that we're setting out for a redeveloped curriculum. So again there would be absolute respect for a school's individual characteristic spirit. Seeing as Asia is one of the technological hotbeds of the world, would be any space in there for a little basic in terms of Asian languages, Chinese, Japanese, Korean? Yeah, that's 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 again a really interesting point, PJ. And what we what we're suggesting at the moment is that proposal of a modern foreign language. And again, we'd have to teach Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ease it out further. We'd have to work with schools carefully and prepare guidance through what would become the curriculum documents in the new curriculum, which would set out for schools how they could go about introducing and, in, and enacting a foreign language if it does become part of the redeveloped curriculum. Again, it's in there at the moment as a proposal, but there would be flexibility for schools, very much so around what that foreign language might be, given a school's particular context, given its demographic of pupil, of parent, of the wider community. And Mm. again, what teachers are comfortable teaching or what kind of supports there would be to work with schools in terms of, of, of that particular modern foreign language. But absolutely, there would be a real openness on our part to looking at what languages could potentially be as part of the primary curriculum. Lastly, we've talked so much in the course of the pandemic about mental health, resilience, uh, robustness and empathy for others. Those are skills too. You're not born with them. You need to start learning them. So where would that fit into the curriculum? Yeah. And again, that's very much part of the dispositions. And again, we have fostering well-being. So we see well-being as being a really important competency, a really important capability for children. So how they appreciate and demonstrate well-being. So I suppose children can be as, as physically, socially, emotionally and spiritually as spiritually healthy as they can be. So we ha- we're proposing at the moment that well-being would be across the curriculum for children, as well as being a curriculum area. Uh, again, I would reference those five curriculum areas earlier. One of them is well-being. Within well-being, we're talking about the introduction of, of what we call a physical and health education, increasing the time for physical education in schools, as well as that giving time for the development and understanding of um, social, personal and values education. So well-being is really, really important and it's very much to the fore, PJ, in, in terms of the proposals that are set out in the draft primary curriculum okay. framework. Lastly and briefly, Derek, it would be remiss of me not to ask, given the content of most of my first hour this morning, as regards children in schools with additional needs. Can a curriculum be tweaked or or even drawn up with with consideration of those children in mind? Absolutely. I I, I mean, we're beginning from the premise that the curriculum should be inclusive, it should be equitable and that it should be for all children. So it's for every child. And that's where we're beginning from. Rather than maybe needing additional add-ons or additional um, guidelines, we're saying from the get-go, this curriculum has to be something that can be enacted and translated in mm. all settings, PJ. And again, that, that's a really, really important point. And we are working with special schools and primary schools to ensure that the curriculum is for all children mm. and it, that it supports all teachers in all settings. Another suggestion coming in, and I know that my daughter in her primary school time 
uh, learned some sign language from a young friend of hers who was who deaf and what a magnificent skill it would be for all children to have some kind of sign language. But again, it comes under the additional languages. Derek, if people wanted to see more about your curriculum proposals, where can they go? Um, absolutely, PJ. So we'd be asking people to go on www.ncca.ie. That's the website of the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment. On that homepage, they'll see a tab, Have Your Say. And we would urge your listeners this morning to go in there, click on the Have Your Say tab. There they'll, they'll find questionnaires, questionnaires for people working in education, as well as questionnaires for the public. We'd also love people to make a written submission to us. And again, there is a written submission template in that Have Your Say section on our website. We're also, at the moment, we're running online consultation events and people can register their interest to attend one of those events. So really, PJ, the consultation is open until the end of February 2022. And between now and then, we'd be urging people to get in touch with us, have your say, and we really look forward to hearing and engaging with people through www.ncca.ie. All right, good to speak with you on the Opinion Line this Monday morning. That's Dr Derek Grant. He's the Director of the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment opportunity to have your say, literally have your say, ncca.ie and click on have your say. Thanks Derek. 1850 Traffic backed up by the Elysian all the way back to Turner's Cross. Whatever is happening. <laughs> I'll tell you what's happening. It's it's five and a half weeks to Christmas. That's what's happening. Uh, it's Welcome back Christmas traffic. We kind of got away with it last year because we were in lockdown it wasn't as bad last year, but welcome back to Christmas traffic. That's what's happening. 1850 Online now at tickets.ie. The Tolo Mackay Experience, a night to be reborn, comes to Cypress Avenue this Wednesday evening with support on the night by Kerry songwriter Lorraine Nash. Tickets are available online at cypressavenue.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Told you we'd do it, didn't I? Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With Douglas Village Shopping Centre for toys, food, fashion and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village. I got a pocket full of cash money, money, Yes, 500 euro toy shopping sprees. Loads of them for free. You listen across the day. 
You get the cue to call, you text a WhatsApp, we then call you back. One simple question, and you're in the daily draw after six. There'll be two sprees. Give it away every day. Let me see if we can send Grace on her way to that draw. Grace, good morning. How are you doing? Are you there, Grace? Hi. How are you? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm all excited. All right. Now, do you want to answer a very, very simple question? Yes, please. Okay. Okay. Now, if you get this right, you go through to the draw. You need to name... It's an A or B answer here, right? You need to A, name the Christmas movie that stars Will Farrell. Is it A... Elf or B Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street? Is it A Elf? elf. What is it? Elf. It's Elf. Yes, A is Elf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. What happens now is you go through into the draw after six for one of today's two five hundred euro toy spree. Could you spend it well and spend it quickly? I could. I have a three month old. Uh, 18-month-old and a three-year-old. That'll last so about five and a half Christmas. minutes in the average shop. Yes, exactly. Five and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spend. I'm sure they could help me. <laughs> Grace, Best listen, me. De- delighted for you. You're our first qualifier on the opinion line. The draw is this evening and you're in it. Thank you very much, PJ. You're so welcome. Hold on there. We'll get some more details off you. That's Grace. We'll do it again. Every day this week on the Opinion Line. Of course, Wayne's got one this afternoon. Then Lorraine on the big drive home and the draw. And it starts again with lads in the morning. And by the way, speaking of the afternoons, a mention for Simon, uh, who is not going to be here today. Simon and his uh, his partner, Sheila, uh, welcomed to the world over the weekend, Lily Rose. So we congratulate them. Uh, the WhatsApp group last night was full of lovely pictures of Simon sound asleep sound asleep he knackered after the effort of just watching congratulations old pal and uh, enjoy this wonderful moment for yourself and and your partner see it's as easy as that Grace got through when she heard the cue to call it's text a whatsapp you text a whatsapp 083 396 96 96 you get through you answer the question and then you get through to the draw and we make the draw of an evening. Cork's 10K, Cork's 96 Vems 10K toy giveaway with Douglas Village Shopping Centre, 50 years at the heart of the village and looking brilliant. Drove against, drove past it again this morning. Looking wonderful. 1850-715-996. You're talking earlier on this morning with Dr. Colin Hawkes about diabetes and the fact that they have so little spread of staff and so few nurses that kids who should be seen every three months can't get seen, anything like that. And that's just one of their problems. Jennifer contacted the Opinion Nine. How old is Oshin? Jennifer, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. Yeah, that's right. Um, Oshin is six now, so he was six in July, but he was actually diagnosed when he was two and a half. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, take me back to the time he was diagnosed. Like, when did you first notice that something was amiss? Yeah, I suppose we were, I'm actually from Kerry myself, so we had been in Kerry for the Christmas. And I suppose over Christmas, we kind of noticed that he was drinking quite a bit. Um, and my mother would have said, oh, but you're, he's drinking, that's not a bad thing. And I was kind of thinking to myself, no, there's something amiss here. It's 
he's drinking too much. And he was still in nappies at the time. So his nappies would actually, you'd wake up in the morning and his nappies would actually be to the point of bursting. They would be so full. So as soon as we came back from Kerry, we took him to the GP um, and the GP straight away did a finger prick test on him and found that his bloods were, were really high. Now, at the time, we still didn't understand what it meant. And I remember even driving into the hospital with him, kind of thinking, oh, this will be nothing. It'll it'll be just a virus or it'll be something else. Mm. And when we got to the hospital, we were brought more or less straight into the triage room. And again, another nurse did a finger prick on him. And I remember her asking me, she said, is there anybody else in the family with diabetes? And I remember kind of thinking, she's talking as though he has it. Mm-hmm. And obviously she, but I was like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's talking as though he has this. And then within, I'd say, an hour, he had gotten his first injection of insulin. And it was just a complete whirlwind of having to learn how to give him this medicine that too much of it you'll give him an overdose and too little of it will make him sick. And it's just such a fine line to balance it. Um, and it's terrifying. You know, when, when you hear there a nurse more or less diagnosing mm-hmm. on the spot, and they're good enough, they do that, that's what they do, yeah. to hear that your little boy has got a life-determining condition. Yeah. And as Dr. Hawke yeah. said earlier on, a family condition, because everyone now has to take account of it. That's a big change. That's it, exactly. Yeah. It's it's huge. And I mean, we have we have two older kids. We've Sheen has an older brother, Dahi, who's 12 now, and his sister is 10, Shirfra. And I mean, it's a huge adjustment for them as well, because I suppose they were at an age where they had some level of understanding and they knew, I suppose they knew something about it. When we came home, it, you have to learn it as a family. And I suppose they knew the risks and they knew the dangers and it's a lot for them to take on board. And I suppose like that it's, it takes time away from them because we, I spent a week in the hospital with Oshin when he was first diagnosed. So it was a week away from them. And then when you come home, there is, when he goes low, when you have to look after him and you have to stay with him, that's taking time away from them. And they're coming into you asking you to help them with something. You say, no, look, I have to look after Oshin. Now he's a priority here at the moment and I'll help you in half an hour or I'll help you in 20 minutes or whatever it might be. But it's still, he has to be that priority in that time because it's, it's medical and he needs that time. And how is he these days? He's good. He's he's a, he's a super little boy. He's um, yeah. He just he teaches me so much. He's he's so brave. He does all his fingerprints himself. Um, he would tell anybody that will listen to him all about his broken pancreas. Um, <laughs> so he's he's super. He's he's just he's an inspiration. I mean, he's. He just gets on with it. And I suppose we're lucky that he was diagnosed so young and that he doesn't really know any different. Whereas I think an older child might be diagnosed later on. And I think that's a bigger adjustment for them. And then you have, I suppose, they're, they're, they're adjusting to all the sports that they're trying to manage it that way. So I think, like Dr. Hawks was saying there, from, I suppose, a mental health point of view for older kids, it's so important to have that support yeah. from the hospitals. And unfortunately, they just they just don't have it. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it amazing how youngsters learn? Though they, they soak the stuff up like a sponge, whereas for us adults around them, no matter what the the condition, diabetes or whatever it might be, we struggle more than they do. Actually, yeah, definitely. I mean, he he's so resilient, and I suppose in some ways he doesn't under like we're the ones getting up at night, and he sleeps through all the finger finger pricks at night and things, and. I suppose he doesn't see the scary side of it, um, whereas me and my husband would would see that side of it. I mean, Oshin had a seizure in July because of the low blood sugars. Yeah. And I mean, that was terrifying for us. Now, he has no recollection of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it was terrifying seeing him like that and like that. His brother shares a room with him and he would have seen that. Yeah. So it's 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 terrifying and it's it's that side of it and it, it does affect the, it, the whole family gets affected. Yeah. Does he yeah. have to have injections every day? Yeah, so Sheen, when he was diagnosed first, he would have had a minimum of five injections a day. And that would have gone on for the first kind of 10 months or so. And then he got a, an insulin pump, which gives him a little bit more freedom in that when he was diagnosed first, we would have to wait three hours before he could have another insulin injection. So as a toddler coming to you saying he was hungry, you tell him he could have cheese and ham because there was no carbs in that. Mm. Whereas now with the pump, it just gives him that more, bit more freedom. I mean, he was at a birthday party yesterday and he had the same as everybody else had. Um so the pump just gives that little bit more freedom. It's great. I got you. I got you. And it's amazing that the yeah. technology has changed. Tell me, uh, yeah. Jennifer, how about the little video that he did? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Oshin, Oshin is a great man for ideas. And on Friday, he decided for World Diabetes Day that they were going that he was going to do something in school to mark the day. Right. So he did a little presentation for his class, and he also decided that it would be a good idea to have a type onesie day. So himself and all his little buddies in school wore their onesies to school and Oshin's face, Oshin lit up when he went to the school Friday morning. So all his SNAs in their onesies and his moon Torah was in his onesie as well. So it was fantastic. The school are just, they're amazing. And he was so excited about the day and his type onesie day and the teachers were in their onesies and it was just it was just lovely just to, I suppose there has to be some oh, perks in there. That school deserves a plug. What school does he go to? He goes to Gwales, Skull Carrig Line. That's fantastic. And they are, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. That's wonderful. It is. And it's so lovely because it just, it normalises it for him and it takes away some of the stigma that's, that surrounds it. And I mean, yeah. all his little buddies will grow up with him and go through school with him and they'll have an understanding of what what it means for him. And I mean, and there you it, go, it gives Jennifer. me comfort knowing as well that they'll see They'll see, they'll know, they'll understand, they'll mind him, but they're also learning from him. Yeah, that's it, exactly. And it's so important because like that, we knew nothing about type 1 diabetes when he was diagnosed. It was just, it was just a minefield of information. Whereas I think if you can teach them when they're this small and this young and give them an understanding and a, I suppose, a knowledge of it. Yeah. It just means that they're more aware of what it what it is and what it means. Fantastic! You've a right little battler there. Uh, lovely story. That's a, a little type onesie day at Grail Skull Carrigy Line, worthy of a mention to mark a type at World Diabetes Day. Well done to Oshin and to his mom, Jennifer. Thanks for that. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Right, I want to read this. This comes through in the context of COVID and in the context of. What will come out of the meeting tonight at the COVID committee and will come out of Cabinet tomorrow? Papers are full of it this morning. Ministers saying we're not going backwards. We're not going backwards. But at the same time, everyone is saying, well, we can't rule anything out. Of course they can't rule anything out because afterwards they'd have to say, well, we changed our minds. Anyway, we got this in from Rachel. And I'm going to read it to you for what it is worth. Hi PJ, why is there unnecessary events taking place like Debs and Grads? There's absolutely no need for these to be on. I heard a loads on recently. I think it's very greedy out of the hotels who are hosting these events. I can understand the sacraments and things like small weddings, christenings, communions, confirmations, taking place in a controlled manner and concentrating on the meaning of the occasion as opposed to the party. 
But the Debs and Grads crew are only doing the night for the sake of it. It's pointless now, a year or two after leaving school. It's all about drink. They're on top of each other, taking photos. They're mauling each other and spreading COVID like no tomorrow. Make the hotels now play ball by checking certs. Close the nightclubs that have no staff to serve, to clean or enforce social distance. We're on a downward spiral again and the figures speak loud and clear. I know people will moan, but we need to help. I'm sick of this. I've done nothing but play by the rules for nearly two years now. It's great that shops and necessary businesses are open, but I'm so damn angry that unessential, alcohol-induced events are allowed and the numbers are so, so high. Come on, government. Govern, please. That's what you're paid so well to do. Do it properly. Pathetic carry-on. Thanks, Rachel. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Josephine is unhappy with the email I read out from Rachel, which came in on opinion at 96fm.ie, talking about Debs and Grads and other such events which she says are unnecessary and she believes there's no need for them to be on because let's face it they're gone from school a long time now sometimes they're a year or two after they left school that they're having the debs and grads and effectively she's just saying look it's just a, a session and they're falling all over each other and mauling each other and take and she says look covid is spreading like wildfire she believes uh, unnecessary events, she says. And we threw it out there for what it's worth to you. Uh, Josephine has been responding to that. I'll read out Josephine's comment in just a wee while. 1850-715-996. Also, William was on to say he'd left AIB on Pierce Road just now, only to discover it's closing on the 26th. The only branch left, and it's relocating to the South Mall. It'll have a devastating effect on the area and will make life incredibly hard for pensioners if they need banking services. Now over to Joe and Joseph's hair salon. Joe, it is that time of year again and you're putting on your usual Christmas effort for the homeless and you need some help. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, PJ, and happy Christmas already. Uh, indeed. <laughs> uh, well, it's only 30 opinion lines to Christmas now, so. Oh my God, Josh. We're putting up the decorations already down, myself. We have to be staffed. Good idea. It's lovely. Love it. And with PJ, yeah, it's going to be a very big, big day this year. It's the 12th of December on a Sunday. Right. And what we're going to do, we're going to have lots of Katrina Penny dinners as loads, and we have a few from Midel House and Coonley Refuge. But what we're looking for is maybe volunteer hairdressers that give us a hand on the day because we're starting at 11 and we probably won't finish till about 5. Right. But the great thing, PJ, and I just want to mention Flannery's. Um, John Gaffney and Pat Murray, that own Flanders, are giving us their marquee this year. And they're going to do hot food and make it all Christmassy and, and get all involved in the day. So don't Brilliant. And I just want to thank us. It's going to be really, we're going to have a magician, Gerald Kearney, coming out as a magician. We're going to have 
musicians and people singing, singing and the whole lot. So it's going to be a very joyful event after after everything people have been through. You know what I mean? So fantastic. I just, yeah. So, so, so Sunday the twelfth of December. Now. So, you, you need volunteers to give a couple of hours, hairdressers. We do, PJ, because the girls would be exhausted. They couldn't. And Dan is going to be doing them, them coordination, getting people over to the marquee and the salon. Because of social distance as well, PJ, we have to be very careful now, you know. So we're going to have maybe three or four in the salon at yeah. a time. Sure. And then they can be over in the marquee having their food and their bit of music or whatever, being entertained. And... Yeah, that's what I'm looking for, mainly volunteer, and I'm hoping people will drop in against selection boxes and a few things just to give us presents on the team. I was just going to say that to you. Uh, have you started collecting the selection boxes yet? Absolutely, yeah, and we're already getting stuff in and we're getting socks and pyjamas and gloves and things like that. So we're going to keep a bit now until the, the event is over and then we can spread it out, spread the love then after that. All right, no better boy. Um, PJ, but the great thing about it is, you're, cause, you know, as you know, everybody's been such a through such a hard time we want to make it really special and uh, as Katrina said they're all looking forward to it already and asking when is it right so very excited but yeah we could do it with help just to give the girls a break give you know mentally too it's it's a emotionally it's a a very tough day as well you know not just physically so just get the girls away for an hour and come back then again so if anyone out there wants to give us a hand we'd be delighted sure and they can what pop into the salon and let you know, or find well, you on Facebook? The salon, a buzz, or private message me on Facebook. Exactly, yeah. Very good. All right. And okay. there's a big shout out to Flanners again, PJ, because they're really helping us yeah. this year, which is amazing. I, I'm delighted. Fair play, fair play to them. All right, that's Joe from Joseph's Hair Salon. The twelfth of December, he's been doing this for a few years now. He puts on a big day for the homeless and those who, you know, don't maybe have the cost of a of a haircut or a hairdo for the Christmas. So Sunday the 12th of December, putting on the marquee out in Flannery's Car Park. It'll be a big day. So they need some hairdressers to come forward and volunteer for the few hours. You'll enjoy your you'll enjoy your company, the company of Joe and the crew anyway, out there. And you'll have fun and be doing it for a good cause. And as always as well, if you have selection boxes, or as he said, socks, pyjamas, clothes, anything you want to give people for Christmas. Joseph's Hair Salon out there in Glasheen, just opposite Flannery's. They're taking stuff in now for the Christmas. 1850-715-996. Quickly, uh, Stephen wants to talk to me about... Um, diabetes. How how old is is it? Aurelia is her name. Stephen. Good morning. That's it. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, it's Aurelia. She uh, is uh, four four now. She was diagnosed at age two. Okay. PJ. Okay. And and how, how's it been since then? Um, more recently, it's been good. We're we're on a pump and everything. But the the first year was very very difficult. Um, obviously, being so young, um, and being on multiple daily injections. Uh, she's she's a very very independent child so she found it very difficult you know we we had to basically pin her down you know at least five times a day and uh give her the injections there's no choice no choice in that and she found that very difficult you know yeah and it's the psychological support that's lacking not just for for her but for the whole family yeah, 100%. I think, you know, it's it's a it's a disease that obviously has a physical toll and there's lots of injections and cannula changes and sensor changes and everything that comes with it. But the, the, the kind of unseen psychological side is, is uh, it's a huge burden for the individual and for the, the wider family, for sure. And it's uh, something, you know, I'm a big advocate of what Dr. Holtz is trying to do, um, you know, in his vision and hopefully the hate.
Let's see, we'll, we'll support them with that. Yeah. There's a dreadful shortage just of the nurses. They need six, they only have three. And I'm seeing a message in this morning and tell me one of them yeah, is due to retire and, soon. Yeah, yeah, and you know, for us, we 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 the delays in getting on a pump. We actually went via the UK in the end. You know, we were so frustrated, and it's nothing to do with the team there. They're amazing people. It's just they're under resourced, and you know, they have a huge uh, amount of kids in Cork, and and really they they need that resource. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a social worker at the hospital. I know they do their best with the families, but again, they're just one person. Yeah, yeah, Mark. He was. He was yeah, that line is, is going to go. But th- thanks, Stephen. I do appreciate the call. Another one. It's amazing this morning the pay the patient parents responding to both Doctor Hawks and indeed before that to Joanne. The needs of our children's children are just being neglected here, dreadfully neglected. To get back to that message that I had about it with regard to the diabetes nurses. Where, yes, Deirdre, listen to Dr. Hawks. They, he said they have three paediatric diabetes nurses. That's about to change soon as one is retiring and another is leaving. No word yet on replacements. And we're very concerned. And here's what happens when someone like that leaves. And this is a quirk of the system that I've no idea why it's allowed to continue. So we'll say a nurse in the diabetes section or diabetes department hands in their notice as they're entitled to do or announces their retirement as they're entitled to do. So they might hand in their notice today and they might say, well, I'm leaving now and I'll be gone on the 31st of January. That's very generous notice. When do you think their job will be advertised? Eh? When will their job be advertised? It'll be advertised on the 1st of February. It can't be advertised while they're still doing their job. That's just one of the stupid things that causes these delays. Just listening to Dr. Hawks, unfortunately I'm one of those parents has a very young child with type 1 diabetes, diagnosed only last year. While in hospital we had a social work visit us. My first question was, what psychological support is there? None. We don't have it. Jackie will help out with Joe on the day. I thought she'd be one of the first on the phone. Good on you, Jack. Yeah, that response to Rachel's email, Josephine not happy about Rachel's view that Debs and Grads are unnecessary events and just basically sessions. I'll read Josephine's response to that next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Hi. Morning. Oh my God. Oh, God. What's wrong, What's wrong? She's a bit shaky. Bit shaking. Nervous. And I said, I tried to roll the cigarette and I'm shaking so much. And how many times has pop singer Madonna been married? Uh, Sean Penn and uh, the other lad. Two. She was married to Sean Penn and Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Which means she was married twice and you've just won 2,000. Oh my god, you can roll a fag with a 50 or not now. That is absolutely <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Another winner. There you go, go, go. go. The two grand minute. 
listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. With phones, your Irish SIM-free specialist for 12 years. Any SIM, any network, any country. Phones.ie. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96FM. Snap, snap. At AIB, we don't make technology for you to bank. We make it for you to live. Just watch. So you can apply and get a loan through your AIB app or online. All from the comfort of home. Banking to fit the way you live. AIB. We back doing. Lender criteria, terms and conditions apply. Over 18s only, subject to approval. Security may be required. Allied Irish Banks PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Make Christmas for everyone this year at Dunn Stores. Get your celebration started with 20% off wine and champagne. Give guests a reason to stay longer with tubs of chocolates like Cadbury Heroes, Roses and Quality Street. Only €4 each. And for the perfect festive treat, mix and match any three for €5 across a range of medium selection boxes. Plus, with our 10 off 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next grocery shop with 50 euro or more. Voucher excludes alcohol. Dunn Deal has the largest range of premium cars in Ireland from all of Ireland's trusted premium car dealerships. That's why you will find New Market Motors on Dunn Deal. Stop by New Market Motors showroom on Dunn Deal today and connect with New Market Motors. Dunn Deal. For premium car deals to feel great about from Ireland's trusted car dealerships. I hear you some wire needs a fixin', ma'am. The name's Buzz. On account of my work. No chance. Not all cowboys ride horses. All safe electric registered electrical contractors must give you a certificate of completion that shows their work meets approved standards. Find one nearby on safeelectric.ie. Ho, ho, ho. Magical Blarney is the ultimate ho, ho, ho. Christmas experience. Win your free tickets all day. This free Santa Friday. Merry Christmas. Only on Courts 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Courts 96 FM. Uh, we have... A bunch of stuff on diabetes and everything else. It's just been a very, very busy morning. And on the education system, okay, talking about the changes in the uh, curriculum, the primary curriculum. Uh, Dr. Derek Grant was on with me for the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment. Hi, PG. I think education system in Ireland should do the STEM educational system, then add language besides our own plus physical and mental health well-being, whichever, but those STEM subjects are very important for every child, starting off from junior infants. They also need to bring and acknowledge bullying as part of everyday life. Most kids don't know how to deal with peer pressure or how to handle those situations. At most, says this WhatsApp message, put religion, i.e. the religion connected to the patron body of the school, in with the well-being. Over 95% of schools in the Republic are now run by religious bodies, mainly the Catholic Church. Religion takes up 30 minutes a day of the primary school timetable. Remove religious instruction completely. Let it be in the community as part of a Sunday school. Just, oh yeah, uh, on the subject of the gatherings and Rachel's email, where she said, Debs and grads, they're not necessary, and why are we having them? Big one, big big gatherings at a time like this when the numbers are so high. Rachel said, by the way, she was happy that businesses were open. She was happy that shops were open. 
but she says they're unessential alcohol-induced events and shouldn't be allowed when the numbers are so high. These the Debs and Grads that are on all over the place at the moment. Josephine was on to say, Morning PJ, disappointed to hear what you read out about Debs and Grads. Haven't the young suffered enough, especially as regards sitting the leaving cert? Eating bread is quick forgotten. My son went to his grads recently, and he and all his friends enjoyed it and were very respectful. I'm glad they had a night out. Many thanks from Josephine. And thank you, Josephine. PJ, it's not Trolley Watch anymore, it's Pod Watch. This is from the emergency departments. I spent over 12 hours in extreme pain on a chair in one of those pods last week in COH. It's a nightmare. We had a distressing call uh, from a man saying he was discharged from hospital on October 22nd after a very serious operation. Was promised a home help and has none. Is really in dire straits and can't understand this is left to happen October 22nd that is nearly a month ago now that was the jazz weekend that was the day that all of the nightclubs and bars and stuff opened up late again that young man well I think he was was discharged from hospital on October 22nd after a major operation was promised a home help and still has none and is in dire straits 1850-715-996 Kevin Keane has always wanted to illustrate comic books for a job rather than just a hobby. And it's happened for you. Kevin, good morning to you. How are you? Good, good. Tell me about what this, this dream come true for you. First of all, when did you start drawing for comics as a kid, I suppose? Well, I mean, uh, I've been drawing since I was a child. Um, I've been drawing since I was about maybe three or four as long as I can remember, to tell you the truth. Um, and I started drawing professionally back in 2013. I committed to the career side of things in 2013 around September. And like when you draw something then as a professional trying to break into the field, who do you submit it to? Well, there's various ways that you can get attention. I mean, the, the glorious side of nowadays is the social media elements that you can kind of start to you know, put your work out publicly for everybody to see and hopefully try to gain an audience and a following that way. I think classically the best way to do things is to put your best work into a portfolio and go to a convention and try to meet other professionals or try to meet people who've succeeded in the career and get their opinion and, you know, get their direction as to what what editors and publishers are the best to submit your work to. Now, talk to me about Spawn and McFarlane, because to someone who doesn't know much about cartooning, I've no clue, no mm-hmm. idea who they are. Okay. Um, so, I mean, Spawn was a character that started back in 1982. Um, so Spawn was the flagship character for the third biggest publisher of comic books in America, which is Image Comics. Right. Um, Im- Image Comics started as a, a kind of a breakaway of a group of artists at Marvel, who would have been working on the likes of Spider-Man and oh, X-Men. Okay. And so a group of them got together and they decided that they wanted to kind of bet on themselves and they wanted to see if they're following who were, you know, a fan base from the days of Spider-Man and whatnot to um, see if they'd follow them over to do their own work rather than just working on the properties that Marvel and, and DC had. So Spawn was the flagship character created by Todd McFarlane in 1992. Now, Todd McFarlane is synonymous with Spider-Man and the character Venom. Um, 
he he designed the character of Venom and he basically reimagined Spider-Man to the point now that every fan knows and loves this particular version of Spider-Man. Gotcha. Todd laid, laid the foundation for it. Um, but Spawn came about in 1992. Uh, it was the first independent comic book to sell over a million copies, which was unbelievable. I don't think anybody expected that. And then for the last... 30 years spawn has been running independently as an entity existing alongside the likes of batman and spider-man so so tell me why so as someone who has seen every batman movie every spider-man movie read the spider-man comics i'm into superman i'm into marvel i'm into all of the avengers why why does spawn seem a bit strange to me well spawn is a bit more niche um the subject matter isn't as i guess um generally accessible you know, it deals with a lot more. It's it's a bit more adult as well. Um, whereas the likes of Marvel and DC, they cater towards younger audiences. Yeah, Spawn is very much directed at more mature audiences. You know, um, the the late teen to early adulthood kind of uh, demographic. Sure. So, um, it, it's a little bit more niche in the comic. But there was a film, um, in nineteen eighty seven with Michael J. White, Martin Sheen, and John Leguizamo. Okay. And it was a good, it was, it was, a, it was a, a, an interesting movie. I, I think a lot of people kind of love to hate it, but it was a little rough around the edges, but I quite enjoy it yeah. to this day. Uh, but there was an animated series by HBO in, I think, the early 2000s as well, which was absolutely phenomenal. Keith David voiced right. Spawn in it. And okay. um, that was, that's how I got introduced to Spawn, which at the age of like 13. Yeah. Yeah, I just yesterday, myself and my son, we watched the Avengers for the umpteenth time. So that's kind of oh, where, a, that's kind of where, quality. where, where oh, we come. Hulk smash! You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always Absolutely. angry. Great movie, but how did this? How how did you end up working with Spawn and McFarlane? Um, look, <laughs> um, I think the best way to put it is, you know, I've been I've been working very very hard for the last near a decade now trying to, you know, put my work in front of the right people and, and independently creating my own work and helping others along the way. I've, I've started my own publisher in Dublin called Rogue Comics with um, with two others, uh, Wayne Talbot and Gillian Dempsey. And we've been just constantly trying to put our own work out there. And what, last year in August, um, when they released the they released the new trailer for the new Batman film coming out next year, um, I just decided that I was going to put up a piece of art to kind of show my excitement for it. And that piece went viral on Instagram. Mm. And about a week or two later, I got a message from Todd um, himself. And he basically just said, um, I really like your art or you have a very interesting style. Hang on, he cold messaged you like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was quite peculiar because you see, at the time, my Instagram was very modest. I was only really using it to promote my art, and I had a bunch of requests in my inbox, and I never checked it because I usually used email for everything. Um, but I had a couple of messages, and I saw the blue tick next to the name, and I had to kind of do a double take and see: is this real? It's cash, surely can't be real. This is a this is a joke or spam or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it was real. Wow. So what has happened as a result of that contact? Well, I've done um, a handful of bits with Todd and I've gained quite the, the attention online as well, which is very, very nice. My, my audience has grown very, very nicely on Instagram in particular. Um, and I got to work on issue one of the Gunslinger Spawn, which came out at the end of October, which was the 
one of the new series in the expansion of the Spawns universe, and it was the largest selling comic book of the. Of, it's the largest selling new series right. of the last twenty five years. Wow! And is it turning up on the usual platforms? Do you, have to, do you have to go looking for it? Oh no, it's it's everywhere. You can find it. You can find it pretty much everywhere. Any anywhere the comic books are sold, you can order it or find it. I, I think it's still in print, uh, but it's online. You can find it on the um, Comicsology image section. Um, and it's it's readily available as far as I'm aware. Brilliant. Well, congratulations, and God knows Thank now you. what the future what the future holds. Would you like to draw Fingers for a crossed. movie? For movies, yeah. I mean, storyboarding for film is is a lot of fun. It's it's essentially comic books with less steps. Yeah. Um, but we're you know like Spawn. Spawn has always been a massively influential character to me. I've always loved the artists that have worked on it. The, they've always been the cream of the crop. So to be able to put my name in the ring and to kind of stand amongst those guys is unbelievably. It's an unbelievable honor. And you know, hopefully, hopefully one day I get to plant my flag in Batman. You know, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. All right, Kevin. Good luck with that. It's a great, great opportunity to get. And hard work pays off. Is the message there and pays off in the strangest of ways this guy this comic hero of his contacts him through Instagram I like what you do that's the stuff dreams are made of thanks Kev 1850 a reminder to you that Premier League Live is back with Trevor and the team Saturdays from midday at 96fm.ie powered by Talk Sport pre-match analysis live commentary exclusive interviews and post-match breakdowns every weekend Premier League Live online with Now stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership your sport on your terms stream only the games that matter to you most with Now and listen Saturday on the Cork's 96fm app or go to 96fm.ie Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Corks 96 FM. Get through your afternoon with all your favorite tunes, brilliant giveaways, and everything happening in Cork. Here, straight after the opinion line on Corks 96 FM. I was looking at this death notice over the weekend and I thought to myself I'm taking taxis a long time so at some point or other this man must have driven me home from a gig or out to a gig or at some stage he must have but Paddy Hussey passed away in the last few days and he was one of the founders of the Cork Taxi Co-op and I know that his friends and his colleagues are trying to do something very special for Paddy uh, on Wednesday. Derek, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very well. Uh, I, you knew Paddy well, did you? I did, um, and it's an honour and, and a privilege to even speak about the man this morning. Um, I was very lucky. Um, as a young boy, I'd, I had an interest in airplanes. I'd go up to the airport, and um, Paddy, I met Paddy when I was 14 years of age. Uh, he used to be up there in the old terminal having a coffee, and he'd be always just coming up to me and mm. saying, how are you? You know, are you having a good day or whatever? And he, he was, since then, since 14 years of age, he was the nicest human being you could ever meet, okay. um, without exception. And of course, you're a taxi driver yourself now, so, you know, you got yeah. to know him even better then. He, he was one of the guys who set up the taxi co-op that we all know so well. <laughs> 
Yeah, back in, like Paddy was only in his 20s, a young fella. And there's a picture going around at the moment of um, him in 1971. And he had that big smile on him back in 1971. And you're looking at the picture now, that smile, it, it never left him. But he was one of the guys that was absolutely instrumental in, in setting up the Cork Taxi Co-op. And of course, now today, uh, I guess, with, with thanks to Paddy and, and the other gentlemen all them years ago, Cork Taxi Co-op is now the biggest um, and best taxi company in, in the city. And, you know, what an achievement to have that behind you. Mm. Now, I know that he'll be late to rest on Wednesday, Derek, and the, the drivers want to do something special for him. That's it, um, because at the end of the day, PJ, that man gave his life for the job. He, he, he I, I couldn't even put into words. Um, he did everything he could, and this is an opportunity for all the taxi drivers in Cork to come together and to drive Paddy to his final resting place. But what we're doing is we're reaching out to the wide taxi community in Cork City and County because Paddy would have touched the lives of so many people and we're asking for them just to give their support so we can get Paddy home and, you know, what a wonderful way to get you home with all your friends that you gave your time every single day mm. following behind you on your last journey. So and, the, the, and the, the, the Mass yeah. is Grona Broher Church and then you'd like... You'd like a convoy, is that it? That's it. So the um, the the mass or the will be in the Church of the Ascension in Grond, um, and the mass will be at eleven. So we're looking for all taxi drivers in the city to to be around the church at that time uh, to join up with that convoy. And, and PJ, maybe if I could ask as well, um, we we hope that we will have an extreme large amount of numbers um, and maybe if it was possible if there was a member of the Gardaí listening uh, they might avail some units from the Rose Policing Unit to, to assist us on moving Paddy to his final place Okay, alright, I know that you, clearly you were friends for many years and this is an emotional time for you Derek so so it's, thank you Yeah, it's it's just shocked me Paddy, you know, I PJ, it's, it's just com- completely shocked me and I was talking to the likes of Bobby Lynch last night oh. and we're just, we don't know what to say. We, it's just, you know, you think Paddy's going to be around forever and he was loved, PJ. You can't say that about many people. He was loved and he loved the people of Cork and he loved what he did. So this is very important to okay. get him home. Okay, Wednesday, uh, uh, Church and Grana Brahar, out just in Finbar Cemetery and Lashine Road, asked to gather safely and COVID in a COVID compliant manner of course around the church and then to escort the hearse out to St Finbar's Cemetery to say farewell to the founders one of the founders of the Cork Taxi Co-op and like you say a much loved character uh, around the city thanks very much Derek uh, that's uh, Paddy Hussey being laid to rest on Wednesday so any taxi drivers listening to us and I know there's lots of taxis do they want you to do that Wednesday up to, the, up to the church 11 o'clock maybe follow the hearse then out to St Finbar's Cemetery to uh, say a final fond farewell to Paddy Hussey and as Derek is asking if any members of the uh, roads policing uh, have a, a, a half an hour to spare Wednesday you, you might you might help out if you could getting a huge response to our diabetes conversation 
today. Hey PJ, I've been type 1 diabetic since the age of 27, which is unusually late to get it. The first two years I found tremendously hard, so I can only imagine what it's like for a child or a teenager. It's a relentless condition. We don't get Sundays off. Diabetic nurses and nurses in general are the greatest people who exist. But alas, it's a condition we must live with. And there is a fantastic community out there who are always willing to give advice or just to let you vent. A great podcast I listen to is the Insulin podcast. I think I have that right. The Insulin, as in insulin, but the last bit is Owen, E-O-I-N. He's type 1 and has amazing guests who speak about their diabetes experience. Well worth a listen for the diabetic uh, type 1s. The diabetic hug that we all need from time to time. Loads of people with type 2 diabetes, which thankfully is quite manageable, but type 1 is a difficult one. Actually, see JP, my pal at UCC, uh, the man who wrote the lovely book, uh, B at UCC. JP has just tweeted this morning that he too has uh, type 2, or I beg your pardon, type 1 diabetes, and it has changed his life over the last couple of years trying to deal with it. It's been tough, but he is getting there. Good luck to anybody trying to live with that. Bit of a response. Was that another response back to Rachel, was it? Uh, Okay, where am I going? Where am I going? Oh, Christmas trees. We had these on Friday as well. Talking about ones in pots and ones you plant out and all of that. And the whole sort of climate discussion comes into the Christmas trees as well, doesn't it? Does it come? Is there anywhere at the moment that they don't be discussing climate? No? No. Possibly rightly so as well. I'm going to line three. Finton. Am I? Three? Finton Reardon of Cork Christmas Trees. I'm waiting to take him there. There he is on three. Finton Reardon, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. The, the Christmas trees and the climate, they help the climate. Explain. Yeah, that's correct. So, look, uh, trees, Christmas trees, and uh, forestry especially forestry trees, mature trees, they, they serve uh, three purposes. So, number one, they produce oxygen. Number two, they, they can store carbon. Number three, they, they emit, you know, CO2 um, and all the, you know, the, the, the bad gases. So, um, I look, for example, figures from our forestry, for example, um, our forestry plantation sequesters over 1,000 tonnes of CO2 annually and our Christmas tree farm uh, sequesters over three to 400 tonnes mm. annually. Now you can see there's a, a big difference because the forestry, the trees are much bigger. To sequester basically yeah. means it eats it up and brings yeah. back oxygen. It, it uses yeah. carbon dioxide to grow and then gives you back oxygen in the air. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and also I'd love to, love to have the opportunity to point out that there's, uh, see, there's, there's a lot of false information going around online about, you know, p- people. It's kind of more p- opinions, opinion articles than um, actual facts. So, uh, someone will come up with, "Oh, you uh, forestry actually does this or that." But I just like to point out that both Christmas, especially Christmas trees, for example. So, um, a customer comes down to our farm in, in ovens to pick their own Christmas tree. Um, when that tree is cut. The, the, there's actually 30% of that carbon is actually stored in, 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 in the roots, in, in the ground. 
So yeah, it's it's very it's very interesting. Yeah, and and what what you'll also see, um, I don't know if, if you um, if you're into real tr- uh, Christmas trees yourself. Um, oh, yeah. it, it, well, if you want to come down to a farm in Corbay Govans, you'll see what we do is we um, we actually plant next to a tree that's ready to be sold because we because you know it takes so long to grow a Christmas tree. So what you'll see, you'll pick a tree and you'll actually see a small one already planted next to it. So. Uh, it's not the case of wiping out a whole field and then it's not, um, you know, sequestering the, the CO2 anymore. It's actually very sustainable and it's continuous. So it's yeah. constantly, it's, it, you know, there's a rotation there. So it's yeah. constantly absorbing. Because yeah. that's something that people, I, I read a, a few people on social media, maybe at the start of this whole COP26 thing, people are saying, well, maybe yeah. this year now, get an artificial tree, save the life of a tree. Don't be killing off the trees. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, no. See, that, that's where, where I was going back to the point. Look, look, I had to point that out. That uh, it's just it's kind of a false fact. So when 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 okay, so you 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 kill the tree, okay, uh, but it's, it's actually recyclable as well. So it can be used for a whole different bunch of purposes. You can recycle it into mulch, go back into the ground, use it as fertilizer, or you can actually use it in your garden for um, there's this you know this type of creeper kind of weed and uh, bird habitats and all that. Um, but uh, I suppose back to where that tree is cut, but again, it, it's the the root and the soil. Mm. That 30% is still there. Yeah. And then we have a new tree coming up again. Yeah. Now, so it's a constant rotation. Um, so, okay, you're, you're chopping down the tree, but it's, it's regenerating again because we have another tree next to it growing. Actually, we have one on either side. So every one tree that's cut, two are being planted. So where where I see what we're trying to do is get ahead because, for example, it takes eight years to grow a six foot tree. So we want to try and get ahead. You know, so when when a tree is cut, there's two already planted either side, um, and we want them planted before they're cut, not after they're right. cut, because we we want our trees to grow as quick as possible. Um, so we're not waiting, to, you know, uh, longer. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So just on that point, no, unfortunately, it, it's false. And and with forestry as well. Um, okay. So actually, okay. Look, I suppose when you look over on the other side of the world, you can see um, uh, the you know the forest. Uh, let's say the the Amazon and all that. There, the amount of uh, forestry that's been cut down. It's it's frightening. Um, but here in Ireland, um, and what what we're doing as well is. Let's say you've uh, 20 acres of forestry and it takes, let's just say it takes, it takes 20 years, 20 years to grow. 20 years is only when you get your first tenings, but we just stay for argument's sake. So instead of waiting 20 years and cutting everything and wiping it out uh, and hoping that the prices will be right, so at 20 years, you cut one acre. 21 years, you cut another acre, but you, you keep planting. So uh, it, there's two benefits there. There's for the forester, you've uh, a, a you know, sustainable income that comes in every year mm-hmm. instead of having to wait and hope the prices are right. Um, and the other advantage, advantage then as well is, uh, especially with climate change and all that, you're, you're constantly replanting. So you're not just wiping out the forest, you're actually planting. But again, the, the amount of uh, carbon stored after a tree is felled in, in a forest is, is, is unbelievable. You know, it's over over thirty percent. Mm-hmm. Also, the tree itself stores carbon as well. So, and you know that um, that carbon stored in in the ground and stored in the roots. Like, what what happens to that then? Is that processed or is that processed any further by the by the tree or the roots? 
No. Well, that, 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 well no, that, that the only way um, you could remove that is by taking out the stumps and then, uh, you know, uh, completely recycling the ground. But um, I suppose with Christmas trees, we leave the stumps there. Yeah. And we actually plant in in between them. Yeah. Um, it's just because you, it, it's not viable to ah, bring yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. No, it's I just, just was wondering it, where it goes. Yeah. It stays. In other words, it stays safely in yeah. the ground. It's not clogging up. Yeah. yeah, not clogging up the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and look, I suppose with a plastic tree, it's uh, look, <laughs> it's it's a no-brainer really. Um, what the harm it does to the environment. So, if you're like, will I buy a plastic tree or a real tree? It's it's, it's even before, even just listening to my comments about the the, the CO two being sequestered. There's so many other points as well, um, other than that, why a real tree uh, wins. You know, when it comes to a real tree versus a, a fake tree, uh, in terms of the you know the environment. Well, you, yeah, one one thing about. Or as we, we have several Christmas trees. We have more, sometimes we probably have more Christmas trees than the toy show. But at the same yeah. time, there's always the, the, the king tree, the main tree is always a big, fine, big, live, or, you know, um, real Christmas tree because I wouldn't have Christmas without one of the house. Finton, thank you very much. Finton Reardon from Cork Christmas Trees. And that is it. Uh, the, the Christmas tree forests eat up carbon and pump out oxygen, and they clean the air. That's what the sequestering means. And then when they take out a Christmas tree to put into the front room, they plant another little one to keep the whole cycle going again. So Christmas trees, real Christmas trees, are environmentally friendly. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Now, okay, you'll get 15 years or 10 or 15 years out of a good artificial tree, but it's not the same. It isn't the same. Not at all. 1850 We're currently wondering when we put up a fourth Christmas tree this year in the house. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And we've got at this stage, I, I think she collects, well, the Queen Bee collects nutcrackers. She has this nutcracker thing and she collects um, nutcrackers. And I think at last count we had about 30 of them around the house. Cork Christmas trees. Corkchristmastrees.com is their website. Corkchristmastrees.com. They are based in ovens. Now, the message from Rachel earlier on this morning about the Debs and the grads being unnecessary events and then the response from Josephine saying the kids had lost out on so much. Uh, Rachel got back on and she said, just on Josephine's response, I totally agree youngsters have missed out on so much. I phoned four teenagers myself, so I know full well what they have missed out on. A leaving cert too, who missed out on her Debs, but extremely relieved that her Debs crew has not gone down the road of organising it, because I'd have had to put my foot down, be a responsible parent and say it's not a necessity. I told my kids I don't mind them going for a bite to eat, maybe a drink or two for their mental health, but definitely no nightclubs because I know exactly what kind of carry-on would be going on in those premises. And also we had another one in on them. My daughter was in the class graduating 2020 and her Debs was on last weekend and they were never told about it. She never found out. Those who had been in contact with the school found out. The rest were just left swing. I'm just saying people should check because they'll not necessarily notify you. We had a message from Dennis also about Joanne. 
Uh, Joanne started us this morning talking about children with special needs and additional needs. And she was quite distressed, but she was very, 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 very um, good in her contribution, in her voice for her child. I was listening to to Joanne, says Dennis. I was listening to Joanne and she was a formidable woman and we need more like her. It brought to mind a conversation I had with a politician over the weekend on the topic of mental health. I was looking into the history of how services developed in the past. People used to laugh at our TDs. They came from the Cummins or from the unions and they were not often very educated. The one thing they brought with them, though, was experience of life. The new guys don't have that. They don't have the experience of dealing with life or families or neighbours. They're highly educated guys, very nice people, but they just don't have the instinct to help people in need when they see it. They're following policies and formulas. And it's not like before when Ireland built up a lot with very little because TDs worried about people. When are these kids, when these kids are 30 or 40, who's going to be there for them? Let's be honest. This is going to play on people's minds. They worry about their kids' futures. That in itself is going to trigger mental health issues, more strain on an overburdened system. Thank you for that one, Dennis O'Callaghan. That does us for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.